Welcome to IEQ Radio, the voice of the indoor air quality industry. Yes, the rules have changed. Good day, wherever you're listening from, and welcome to Indoor Air Quality Radio, IAQ Radio, the voice of the indoor air quality industry. Today's broadcast is episode number 128, and today is Friday, June 5th, 2009. My name is Cliff Slotnick, known as the Z-Man. Radio Joe Hughes is going to try to participate remotely from the Grand Caymans, where he's doing some consulting work with the client. Our wingman, Chris Boisel, is at the controls. Good afternoon. Hey, and sitting in Joe's seat in the studio is the lovely environmental Annie Ann Koalecki. Well, thanks and good afternoon. You're welcome. Today's segments include the microband trivia question, continuing discussion of the Chinese drywall issue with today's guest, Michael S. Green Esquire, an educational insurance session with Brian McFarland of Legends Environmental Insurance. Uh, comments. Uh, we're going to have some technical comments from Will Spates of Indoor Environment Technologies, who was our guest last week and was kind enough to help us on technical issues today. Uh, perhaps Dr. Dieter is going to be calling in and we'll have a roundup. Radio John I, along with the wingman's help, have been working on the IQ Radio website each week. Uh, we add to the website, we add to the blog after the show. We've also changed the invitation news announcements from IQ Radio and IQ Training. First, we'd like to thank our sponsors. We're delighted to have as our newest sponsor the Indoor Air Quality Association, a nonprofit, multidisciplined organization dedicated to promoting the exchange of indoor environmental information through education and research. Visit them at iaqa.org. Gray Wolf Sensing Solutions, who use advanced sensor software technology and embedded computers to provide superior environmental test instrumentation. Visit them at wolfsense.com. Legends Environmental Insurance Services, the experts in insurance for environmental consultants and contractors for over 20 years. Visit them at legends-enviro.com. Pro Restore for cleaning, odor removal, and antimicrobial products remediators trust and depend on. Visit them at prorestoreproducts.com. Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IEQ industry. Subscriptions and advertising information available at ieconnections.com. Dryease Products, providing equipment for drying water-damaged homes and buildings. Dryease is first in drying solutions. Visit them at dri-eaz.com. John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at jondon.com. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IEQ Radio when you inquire about their products and services. 
To contact the show is easy. By phone, simply call 724-444-7444 and enter our show ID number, which is 1547. Press 1 and join the show. You can also download the show by going to our website, iaqradio.com, and following the link that says go to the show, or you can get the show from iTunes. You can also get your IICRC Continuing Education Credits or IAQ Council Renewal Credits by emailing Radio Joe and requesting a quiz. Radio Joe's email is joe.use at iaqtraining.com. To make suggestions, special requests, or ask technical questions, you can either email Radio Joe or the Z-Man at cliffslotnick at unsmoke.com. Last but not least, please visit the IEQ Training Institute website for the most current dates for the training you trust at ieqtraining.com. Okay, I guess it's trivia time, Chris. Congratulations to Will from Restorex of Montana, who correctly answered last week's microband trivia question. Remember, you can win a cool prize by outcompeting IAQ Radio listeners and being the first person to correctly answer the microband trivia question. Submitting your answer is easy. Simply email it to cliffzlotnick at unsmoke.com. Now for the microband trivia question for Friday, June 5th, 2009. Plaster is a cement-like material that primarily contains lime or gypsum. Who, after encountering plaster of Paris in France, where it was used as a wall finish, casting material, and soil nutrient, introduced the material to the United States? Name the famous great American patriot who introduced plaster to the U.S. Okay. All right. Today's guest on IQ Radio is Michael S. Green Esquire. He is a shareholder resident in the Fort Lauderdale office of the law firm of Berger and Singerman and is a member of the firm's transaction team. Mr. Green concentrates his practice in the areas of real estate development and finance, real estate acquisition, sale and leasing, construction law, construction contracting, and claims resolution, indoor environmental and disaster preparation and recovery, ADA and accessibility code, hospitality law, land use and zoning law, trademark and copyrights for owners, design professionals and manufacturers, and alcoholic beverage licensing. Mr. Green represents financial institutions, developers, institutional building owners, landlords, contractors, mold assessors, and remediators. Michael, good afternoon, and thank you for joining us today on IAQ Radio. We've got some intro music for you. Okay. Yeah. Ah. Hang on. Okay. Well, thank you again for joining us, Mike. 
Uh, Hi, how are you? Good. I think we're going to divide the interview into a number of segments. And the first segment is, can you give us a situation report? I mean, is this just a residential problem, or is Chinese drywall an issue in the commercial sector as well? Um, uh, that's an excellent question, Cliff. We believe that this is not limited to just the residential arena. Um, any property built basically since 2004 um, that has half-inch drywall in it has a uh, better than even chance of having some of the imported drywall uh, installed. Uh, we, in fact, have a, a shopping center client or two who are concerned about what is present in their facility. Okay. Annie? Yeah, what are you seeing and hearing out there? Um, right now, uh, we're in what I like to call the Wild West phase. Whenever there's something new pops up uh, that our lawyers get involved in, there's uh, lots of shootouts, and you can't really tell who the uh, good guys and bad guys are, and not everybody wears black hats. So we're sort of in the phase where people are trying to determine, one, how bad is it, how widespread is it, um, who ultimately is responsible, uh, and lastly, is there somebody on the hook to fix it who actually has in this economy any money left to do so? So that's sort of the three key questions that we get involved with uh, from uh, the environmental lawyer perspective. Mm -hmm. What sort of questions are clients and potential clients asking you? Um, it comes up from several sides. One, whether it's uh, a developer who has product in which he believes he may have uh, Chinese drywall, their view. You know, they, their questions are, what risk do I have to my buyers or tenants who may be in the space? Um, uh, who is responsible since as a developer, we you order a pallet of drywall. You don't know what's really in it. You don't necessarily know that it's Chinese drywall. Uh, and so is their distributor on the hook? Is the manufacturer on the hook? That's the questions um, they ask. Uh, we've been approached by uh, several condominium associations who are facing these issues and potentially a huge cost and special assessments. You know, can we get it back from the developer? Um, uh, what is the real risk? Uh, and how can we be sure that it's in every single unit? So it depends on the position you're in. If you're living with it or it's your property that is potentially, uh, and I'll use the word contaminated, although that's probably not a technically correct term in this case, uh, but has the presence of Chinese drywall, uh, if you're if you're living with it, occupying a store with it, your concerns are: uh, Am I at risk? Are my employees at risk? Uh, are uh, personal possessions that may be made of copper, silver, or other metals that are impacted by sulfides at risk? Um, uh, the technical questions uh, you, uh, are this time as hard as the legal questions are. Uh, with mold, we know mold could be uh, bad for a lot of people, but uh, with uh, the sulfides, we're in a whole new world now. Okay. I think we've got Joe on, Chris, yes? Yeah, I think so, Cliff. Perfect, yeah. Can you, you hear me? Yeah, we can hear you. 
Excellent. Uh, welcome, Mike. Thanks for joining us again. Great to have you back. Happy to be uh, here. You, you mentioned uh, commercial clients. We didn't talk too much about that on the last show. Are they having the same problems with respect to the uh, pitting and the uh, problems with their coils and things of that nature? Uh, in some instances, yes, they're also seeing some of the uh, or I should say smelling some of the odor issues uh, as those pop up. The difference between, say, a residential product and a strip center is that in somebody's house, they're more likely to notice where there's corrosion of metal. They clearly notice odors that don't belong there, particularly with the um, hydrogen sulfide rotten egg smell. Um, in a shopping center or office space, uh, it may not be noticed as readily. There may be a, uh, a plenum return air system. It may not uh, be uh, your uh, be a chilled water system where some of those things don't become as evident right away on the commercial side. So it's probably there, uh, potentially at the same level when you consider uh, just taking Florida, for example, how many uh, shopping centers have been built over the last four or five years. Um, you've got a lot of potential. It's just not as apparent. Any uh, health effects claims from the commercial end yet? Uh, not that we've seen from the commercial side. Uh, obviously, just like mold took uh, a year or so before the uh, health issues became apparent enough on the residential side that commercial tenants and their employees started taking notice. Um, it'll probably be a, a little bit before that starts uh, working its way to the commercial side here as well. Okay. All right. Um, let's move into the product a little bit. Um, Michael, you've been an attorney for a long time. Uh, we were t chatting the other day, and you told me that you have a home, and uh, so the home's filled with building materials. It's filled with personal property. Uh, I guess one of the questions is that, that I have is, is this really a defective product or is it the perfect storm? And, you know, we were chatting last week that this material may very well work in an arid or a cooler climate or a more inland climate, and maybe the product's not defective, but perhaps the climate in Florida is defective. Uh, uh, you know, just any comments on that? Well, particularly uh, for those of us who live down here in August, we probably agree with that lot of the latter statement. Um, uh, but the the general premise is is that a product is generally supposed to be fit for its intended purpose, um, uh, which means, for example, uh, drywall should be on the wall, and it shouldn't cause other components of the building to corrode or become defective or create health issues mm -hmm. uh, because that would be contrary to the concept of having something that's lining houses and commercial properties. So the, it, despite the fact that there seem to be some regional differences, one where heat and humidity does seem to be having some effect, but if you're selling a product um, and intending it to be used in Louisiana and Florida and other Gulf Coast states, uh, and it doesn't work, then it's defective at, uh, from the purpose of being fit for its intended use. Uh, an example is some years ago, um, uh, the 
uh, I won't mention the name of the paint manufacturer since we did sue them for a series of contractors, um, had produced an elastomeric paint, which is not uncommon in Florida because it helps seal off the stucco. Um, however, this paint mix didn't work, uh, ironically, in heat and humidity. It was great if it got rained on, but the heat and humidity caused uh, moisture to build up behind it, caused it to bubble, crack, and thereby allow water in. Uh, right before we filed suit, the company pulled it off the market because it wasn't a workable Florida mix. Uh, that makes it a defective product, at least as far as Florida users are concerned. And I would apply the same logic here to Chinese drywall. If you didn't, if you didn't think the climate was appropriate, it shouldn't have been sold here. Gotcha. Well, what I'd like to do is just, you know, I, I wrote down the chain of custody of the product. You know, this product was manufactured in China. We know that at least some of the product is manufactured and sold, or I'm sorry, is sold under the, the brand of a German company. We know that the product was imported into the United States by certain entities. We know the products were sold by entities. We then know that it, further we have this chain of construction where we have a developer, you know, we have an architect who may specify and oversee um, you know, building materials. Uh, we may have an engineer that could get involved. We could have a general contractor. We could have their sub-trades. We could have a property owner and occupants. You know, a lot of people are handling and, and touching this. And I'm just wondering, uh, you know, if you could just comment on this chain of custody of the product and uh, anything it, it brings to mind. And, yes, and typically what happens in this type of case, and I'm going to uh, paraphrase Bob Dylan and say, everybody must get sued. Uh, <laughs> I, I won't attempt to sing that because we, we will lose all of our listeners. Um, but, and, and this is a case where some of the class actions that have already been filed out of Miami, out of Louisiana, uh, mostly on behalf of uh, home owners, condo unit owners, etc. Um, and that uh risk is is that uh, each person in the chain uh, has some risk should the uh, contractor have utilized his product and installed it should the distributor have sold it to them uh, for the, its use in Florida should the manufacturer have uh, sold it for use in Florida where it seemed to have issues Um and uh, so generally, everybody in the chain is going to get brought into the suit, even if the ultimate liability may lie with the manufacturer who produced a product inappropriate for a climate. And again, I'll leave it at that since it's unclear as to whether this issue may occur in different climates. Uh, uh, and uh, everybody's going to get brought into it. And the question is. Uh, one, uh, do they have insurance coverage, one, to provide a defense from the lawsuit or to pay a claim at each level, or are they stuck in it? Um, and uh, what's the ultimate goal of the lawsuit? One of the issues that I raise with class actions is that class actions really are only good at generating a money return. It's hard to have a class action 
that generates the result of, okay, we're going to go out and fix 50,000 houses. Um, uh, as a result, people are, while waiting for the very long time that any such class action litigation takes, um, likely don't have access or coverage under their own insurance to get it fixed, uh, don't have a ready source uh, of income uh, to offset the loss if they have to move somewhere else while uh, they can't rent or use or occupy their uh, uh, home or condo unit. And uh, it creates an interesting dynamic of uh, are the av average homeowner able to sustain the action against, say, a developer, distributor, et cetera, until the fix is in place? because of both the unknowns and the lack of available restoration dollars. Let's shift. Jeff, can I jump in for a second? Go ahead, Jim. I just, uh, Mike, you, you bring up uh, a really a point we kind of touched on last week. Um, are the attorneys or any of the law firms out there, I'm assuming they're researching the issue. They're probably doing some type of um, um, testing, et cetera, who's paying for all this? Are, are some of them putting it in a pocketing, you know, uh, paying for it themselves in, in hopes of uh, finding something that will stick later on down the road? Well, from, and I'll take it from the, the, the pure law side of a, of a construction product liability claim um, uh, using um, my, my firm as an example is that you know, we have the experience in doing this. So from a purely legal perspective, it's really identifying um, is there going to be insurance coverage? Uh, a lot of our clients are developers. Uh, what are uh, they going to do? In fact, most of them where issues are popping up, they're right now generally paying us out of pocket because the insurance companies are typically denying coverage at this stage. Um, uh, our research, uh, for example, on the technical side is done with uh, people like yourselves who are in the industry, uh, who are doing the science, who are doing the investigations, so that we have information to tie together with the law. An example of this is, and this came up with the mold cases too, um, for uh, anything scientific, whether it's medical science or uh, chemical science for corrosion to be accepted by a court, generally in most states and in the federal courts, uh, has to be based upon a theory or a scientific method approach that is commonly accepted, meaning that it's not just one experts saying, this is what I believe, it's that now there's a common understanding of what is the cause and effect of a particular condition. Um, I think that there is clearly evidence that the sulfide components are having an uh, impact on various uh, types of metals causing crystallization and corrosion. Um, the question is, uh, how much of that is from the Chinese drywall? How much of that is from treatments applied versus the contact, content of the drywall matrix? That's the science part, the proof part that needs to tie into the legal issues. So the legal issues 
uh, as they often are, sometimes are the easy part. It's lining up the science as evidence that's still somewhat we're in that Wild West phase I mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. Annie? Yeah, let's shift to government involvement. Doesn't the government have the responsibility to, responsibility to protect its citizens? Uh, yes, one would think that. And uh, uh, I'm sure that uh, there were a couple of things here. One, um, there really wasn't an, uh, an entity looking at drywall because it was a product didn't generally have to meet uh, hurricane test standards or other test standards around uh, the country under building codes. So it was basically left to the free market and what happens, which is the tort system, if something didn't work right. Um, So there really wasn't anybody looking at it. And at the height of the building market, um, which occurred simultaneously with the devastation from Katrina, Um, All the hurricanes of 2004 and 2005 in Florida, which generated lots of interior work and drywall replacement, Uh, builders and distributors were just happy to have enough drywall showing up. And uh, uh, so government probably was not something they would typically be in in the loop on. They'd be expecting that the ultimate um, installers, manufacturers would be looking at you know, the quality, the fitness of the per- of the product for its particular use. And uh, uh, if I may make a political statement, the government didn't do a great job keeping track of uh, what was coming out of China in pet food, baby food, chocolate bars, and other things that none of us really knew had components coming from China, let alone drywall. So uh, – uh, it, it appeared to be a, a total lack of investigation and regulation by the government whatsoever. But given uh, potentially even riskier things, such as baby food, if that wasn't being checked, drywall wasn't being checked either. The key now is, is there really any action happening on the government side? Um, and on the Florida Department of Health website, there is a link for the corrosion effects. The health effects are not really addressed in detail, but most of the content content there is are a couple of actual random test samples and letters from uh, Congressman Wexler to our governor trying to see something happen, and then from our governor to the federal government trying to make something happen. But there's not much evidence that anything has happened. And I think in large part, given the state of the economy, it probably is not going to uh, just because there's not budget dollars to deal with this. And people are more concerned about keeping people employed than dealing with the drywall issue. So it's probably going to be left up to uh, the judicial system to try and find an answer. Okay. I think we're going to go to – we're about halfway through. I think what I'd like to do at this point is – uh, kind of open it up to uh, Dr. Dieter. Uh, we, we know he's on there, and just if he had any comments on the first half of the show. Uh, yeah, just a quick comment. Um, <clears throat> if you smell something, that doesn't necessarily mean that you got overexposed. And um, <clears throat> if we look at these issues of health effects, yeah, we, we know there is one concept that is called the dose-response concept. That means the higher the dose, you must have a higher uh, effect. 
And there are many other criteria which are specific to an agent which have to be met. Now, if you say, okay, I was, I was um, exposed to a carcinogen, uh, asbestos, and now I have skin cancer, well, <laughs> asbestos doesn't produce skin cancer. That is one of those things, even though it is, quote, a carcinogen. So we got to be careful over there. And I'm the first one to admit that I wouldn't like to live in a house that smells like the, quote, uh, rotten eggs, end quote. <laughs> and so uh, I don't think that there will be um, levels high enough to really produce a frank uh, disease. And I, I think this is going to be uh, a difficult one. And I guess lawyers like that. You know, you don't have good answers, so you can make one up yourself <laughs> or try something else. And it, many times lawyers tell me, I don't do a test, and you know what it is, and I don't want to know. But uh, that is going to be a difficult one, I think. Okay. Uh, Will? Well, I've got. I want to go go back a couple of steps to uh, the commercial, you know, uh, situation. We've inspected a lot of buildings that fall into that area of, uh, you know, uh, drywall installation and you know build outs and things like that. And we're wondering if a positive pressure and air exchange driving the conditioned air towards the outside of the wall cavities is a playing a factor in this because we're not seeing nearly as many we actually haven't seen any uh, positive responses or or anything along those lines in in large commercial office buildings along those lines and from the health standpoint that dr. Dieter was just touching on I still believe there's a synergistic and you know X factor out there that hopefully we'll be able to discover and figure out how to address this thank you Joe I was wondering, uh, Mike, for people who are in these situations, you know, we've got to think about them. Are you aware of any interim controls that have been helpful in helping to lower the odor, maybe help them with um, some of the health issues they claim to be having from this Chinese drywall, um, maybe some type of filtration that would help to filter the sulfides, do you, do you know of anything or do you have any hunch on what may be down the road that might be helpful? Um, and that's really hard to say. About a month and a half ago, uh, uh, I spoke for the, the West Palm chapter of the Indoor Air Quality Association, uh, which, by the way, I did spend uh, nine years on the board, and I urge anybody involved in the industry, it's a great organization to be involved with. Um, and uh, what was interesting was of uh, the significant number of people in the industry, there had to be at least 100 people from the indoor environmental industry there, uh, was the lack of consensus on how do you deal with all the issues. Um, one of the things that Dr. Dieter was mentioning was just because you smell it doesn't mean there's an effect. One of the things that a lot of the testing companies were finding um were the uh, uh, 
fact that they could smell it, but they couldn't get any type of reading that showed measurable airborne sulfide uh, compounds. So uh, I guess that's a, a testament to uh, uh, human biology that we can smell something at such a level that even the machines can't necessarily pick it up. Um, but that makes it much harder to tell, is there really a safety issue? Uh, using the mold analogy again, at a certain point, we developed at least a way of determining by looking inside and outside to say what's normal and what's not. But if we can't detect it in a normal condition, how do we know what's really a bad level? Is it strictly by the result? Do we have the corrosion? Does everything have to get ripped out? Uh, one example came up with um, uh, a remediator was that even after they removed uh, the Chinese drywall, uh, components that are porous uh, will absorb at least the odors. The question is, of course, do they, are they really absorbing any significant sulfide content beyond the molecules that generate the odor? But they had to go back in and put in negative air machines and basically spend a week sucking the air out of the house to try and get the rest of the odor out that had been absorbed by porous materials. Did that mean the levels were dangerous? My best guess is probably not. But how do you tell a homeowner that it's okay to go back into their house when they can still smell it? Right. All right. Let's uh, go to Brian McFarland. He's got some insurance enlightenment he's going to do for us. Brian? Better get some insurance on the way. Take out some insurance on the way. All right, Brian. Brian, you're really breaking up. Brian, I'm sorry, we can't hear you. You're probably going to have to call back in again. Okay. I think what we're going to do at this point is, uh, while he's trying to call back in, what I'd like to do is thank our sponsors. We're delighted to have as our newest sponsor the Indoor Air Quality Association, a nonprofit, multidisciplined organization dedicated to promoting the exchange of indoor environmental information through education and research. Visit them at iqa.org. Gray Wolf Sensing Solutions who use advanced sensor software technology and embedded computers to provide superior environmental test instrumentation. Visit them at wolfsense.com. Legends Environmental Insurance Services, the experts in insurance for environmental consultants and contractors for over 20 years. Visit them at legends-enviro.com. Pro Restore for cleaning, odor removal, and antimicrobial products remediators trust and depend on. Visit them at prorestoreproducts.com. Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IEQ industry. Subscriptions and advertising informational are available at ieconnections.com. Dry's Products, providing equipment for drying water-damaged homes and buildings. Dry's is first in drying solutions. Visit them at dri-eaz.com. John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at jondon.com. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IEQ Radio when you inquire about their products and services. You want to try Brian again now? Okay, uh, we've lost them. Okay, well, let's move on with our interview. And what I'd like to do, Mike, if we could, is move over to some of the legal aspects of this. 
um, what would be plaintiff's litigation strategies for some of the various parties who were involved uh, that you would be comfortable talking about? And, you know, I don't know whether it would be architects or developers or contractors or occupants. You know, just pick a couple and, you know, let us know what's what. Okay. So is that for Brian? Uh, no, it's actually for you. Uh, okay. Hang on one second. Uh, do, we, do we have Brian back? Brian, are you there? I am back on the phone. I'm not sure uh, what happened there, guys. Can you hear me now? Yeah, we can. Let's go ahead and I, I want your your subject is important. Let's go ahead and, and get it in, and and then we can resume with the interview afterwards. Uh, sorry about that. I that's thought okay. I was doing the prudent thing by calling on a landline, and apparently that's not that wasn't the case today. Okay. Um, today, you know, I, I wanted to talk about just a, a quick, a short couple of things. Uh, of course, we've had lots of clients in Florida and Louisiana and the Gulf Coast states calling us, uh, environmental consultants calling us to find out if, in fact, uh, testing for Chinese drywall was going to be covered under their errors and emissions uh, uh, and or general liability policy. Uh, most carriers are starting to figure out how to address the issue, but all the carriers that we work with currently are saying that, uh, you know, it, it is a covered service uh, so long as the insured is, you know, qualified to perform uh, an indoor environmental assessment, uh, which you know, most of your listeners would be, I, I would assume, who are in the consulting realm. Uh, so that's the good news. It is covered. Uh, Going forward from this point uh, with, with our, you know, every other week sessions, I kind of want to talk a little bit about claims uh, and, and go through uh, insurance claims, uh, how they're handled by insurance carriers, uh, when you should file a claim, what might be covered, what might not be covered, and, and just kind of break that down into, into several segments. Uh, today, I really want to talk about when, do you, when should you file an insurance claim onto your policy. And I know I'm running a little bit short of time here, so I'm going to kind of uh, break it down just a little bit and say, you know, when you're deciding whether or not you should file an insurance claim on your policy, the first thing to consider uh, re really is, you know, what what are your deductibles? Where is the claim coming from? Uh, is this a claim that, uh, you know, if, if, if you have a deductible, it's a general liability claim and you have a $5,000 deductible and someone's claiming that you put a hole in the drywall, that's going to cost $600 to fix, it might not be pertinent to file a claim. If it's a claim, uh, and the reason that would be is claims do affect, uh, you know, the renewability of your insurance uh, as well as they uh, affect the, the cost of your insurance. Uh, and in that type of situation where the value of the claim is going to be under the deductible, the insurance carrier won't be participating in that claim except for to... Uh, handle any legal matters, uh, but still charging uh, the insured for the claims cost. Uh, so, so won't really wouldn't really be pertinent to file the claim in that situation. Uh, but over the next couple of weeks, uh, we're going to talk about when, uh, or the next couple of sessions rather, uh, we're going to talk, talk about uh, when to file a claim, how it will affect your insurance. And uh, we'll go from there. Okay. Right. Thank you very much. Well, Mike, let me just rephrase my question. We were going to get into uh, plaintiffs' litigation strategies. Um, and, you know, 
I, I suspect, but, but I'm not sure, must a plaintiff sue where coverage exists under product liability, completed operations, maybe a reaction, chemical reaction of smoke, fume, or curing, negligence, uh, et cetera, et cetera, or are they better off to use some sort of wild indoor environmental pollution allegation? Um, and are there any loopholes or coverages that you think are in policies that you know, would provide coverage for this? Well, and that's really the hard issue. From, um, uh, and uh, from our perspective, a plaintiff is not necessarily just a person who owns a house, but it could be the developer. Uh, we represent several developers who uh, their view is they're still in business in this market, and they're going to go in and fix whatever's broken, and they're doing that. Their problem is where do they collect from? Because one of the two things that uh, are being used by insurance companies under the typical uh, either commercial general liability policy or hazard policy is to rely on either the pollution exclusion or the design and construction defect exclusion under the hazard policy. So we're seeing a lot of coverage denials, both at the homeowner level, at the uh, developer making a claim level, the installer level, um, which is usually the first line of defense on repairing what is a defective product in construction. Um, that means you're not even looking to fill in gaps in coverage to get dollars there. You're looking for where is the money going to come from. Um, from a, a plaintiff's perspective, again, whether a developer or the person in the house, um, uh, having it as a, a pollution-type claim doesn't help because of the pollution exclusion in the typical liability policy. Um, and so it's coming down to really uh, that the unit or the material is not fit for its purpose, which is really a product liability claim. Usually the first place you start seeing product liability is – or insurance available is at the distributor level, the importer level, and that's where those policies are. Um, so what's made it harder this time is that if you're filing for a class action or suing individually to get something fixed, you have to go pretty far up the food chain to get to a policy that likely has coverage. Now, in some of the aspects, we're doing this for a developer client, uh, oftentimes for a, a policy for a, a pretty good-sized company, uh, the pollution exclusion is custom-written. And depending on how it's written, may give us some wiggle room to say that this isn't pollution uh, per se as defined in that exclusion in order to seek coverage. So it requires some knowledge and analysis up front of the actual policy in order to uh, uh, make that a go. So for the uh, the lawyers who, you know, the, the, the typical plaintiff's personal injury type attorney um, who works on a, a contingent fee, those are going to be much harder cases for uh, them to bring, at least for doing the whole thing on a contingent fee, because the likelihood of collection and the ability to collect is much more difficult than it is on other types of claims. Mike, uh, this is Joe. Do you 
have any um, knowledge of any insurance claims that have been accepted and, and where an insurance company has um, made some type of, you know, made some type of reimbursement or payment to someone who was, you know, unfortunately caught up in this situation? Um, I've heard of a couple, um, all homeowners, individual homeowner claims where the companies did come in and replace some drywall, and I haven't been able to get enough information as to why those companies did that. They were smaller insurers who probably felt that the cost to replace some of the materials was uh, cheaper than having a long, drawn-out fight. Um and I've been trying to get more information uh, on those. The problem is that most of the time, if you're an insurer and are settling a claim that has the potential for controversy, is you're typically going to insist upon um, a uh, confidentiality agreement. So it's making it harder to get um, some of the details that we would like to figure out, one, which companies are the ones who are becoming the most liberal, so to speak, and uh, which ones uh, is there a reasonable shot at getting some dollars out of? Uh, I can tell you the ones, uh, the bigger the company is, the less likely they are to uh, settle them out because once they start that, they start creating a precedent. And uh, you know, if you're insuring 10,000 homes in Florida, that's one thing. If you're insuring uh, 150,000, that suddenly changes the uh, the uh, risk envelope. So to follow up on that, would you, if you were uh, representing someone or if, uh, let's say a friend called you, you know, he wasn't actually trying to hire you and said, hey, you know, Mike, I got this uh, Chinese drywall thing in my home. Um, do you think I should turn it into my homeowner's insurance first or should I call you, you know, or call an attorney first and, and hook up with an attorney? What would you recommend they do there? Um, one, it's always useful to have an attorney who's familiar with insurance in the loop, not just saying that because I am one, but it also helps to figure out for your own individual perspective what makes the most sense. Um, uh, and making a claim uh, timely is important because one of the defenses an insurance company has is if you don't timely file a claim um, after you know of the issue. But how you file a claim, how the claim is documented um, becomes critically important, not because uh, we want any insured to commit fraud because you will have no coverage at that point in time. That's not appropriate. But uh, I'll go back to the mold world, for example. There were a lot of people who made, quote, mold claims when they had leaks in their house um, with, without recognizing the fact that they also had water damage and had no mold coverage and, in fact, had a mold exclusion. So when you have a case where you know you don't have mold coverage, you want to make sure your claim is well-documented on the water damage side. Uh, but we had a lot of clients who go in and made a, quote, mold claim, and at that point the claim was denied for lack of coverage. Getting that back to a water damage claim became 10 times more difficult as, and as expensive to do. So that's why we recommend uh, if there's any question, have a lawyer look at your policy to make sure you've properly documented your claim uh, uh uh, as it exists, and that you have the appropriate coverage for the damage you have. 
I see. So you wouldn't want them to go in and say, you know, I've got this uh, smelly, messy health problem here right away, whereas maybe it would have been better to attack it as a uh, product defect type of claim. Correct, or ancillary damage because of, uh, uh, ironically, if they did have a leak, then where the water and excess humidity could cause or exacerbate the damage, there may be a claim coming that direction. That's one of the one of the um, I don't like the term loophole, but one of the places in which there may be coverage indirectly. So that's the kind of thing that uh, can help. And it's not that you can't rehabilitate a claim that uh, let's say may have been uh, misdirected without knowledge of what the par- the policy actually covered it's just a lot harder to do it after you've made your initial claim than it is to do it right the first time yeah mike what are some defense strategies to counter the plaintiff's litigation strategies um the uh and at the different levels we'll we'll start with that um we can kind of go through the list if you're a design professional um, I don't know of anybody who specified, uh, please install dry- Chinese drywall. <laughs> uh, I, I haven't seen that anywhere. It's generally half inch, five eighths inch, uh, uh, et cetera, that is being uh, uh, specced. So uh, the design professionals are going to have an easier time saying, look, you know, that, that's a means and methods issue. We just say half inch drywall has got to meet. You know, certain criteria. Um, from uh, the developer's point of view, the one thing that is a similar claim is that they bought it from a reputable distributor. They were selling drywall. They didn't call up and say, can you send us some of that Chinese stuff you got sitting around? They typically got a price. The price was X. The stuff showed up on a truck, was dropped off on pallets, and that's what um, uh, they got. So the argument is, well, we didn't intentionally or knowingly go out and buy something that was defective. We bought drywall from reputable distributors and so on up the food chain. At the distributor level, it starts becoming a little harder since you are, are selling the product. Um, but by the same token, you're selling a product from manufacturers. In some cases, some of the American manufacturers uh, may have done some of the uh, importing of the uh, drywall. And uh, uh, so uh, in this case, the further up the chain you are, the harder it is to get out of it. Like, for example, the manufacturer of the toughest time, uh, the big issue on that side is uh, does uh, Knopf, the German manufacturer who was going to the press, was uh, responsible for the manufacture of about 20% of the imported drywall. Um, is there remotely enough product liability coverage to uh, get close to repairing the significant number of properties that have the drywall installed? Okay. Well, let's use our remaining time to perhaps uh, talk about the future. Um, could you comment on these television attorneys uh, swarming in and just taking up all the valuable financial proceeds away from their clients, uh, you know, in class action? Uh, do you think that that's probable going to happen? 
Um, uh, And again, I I hate to keep going back to the mold analogy, but it's very similar since the litigation that came out of mold issues sort of set the trend for indoor environmental uh, legal reaction, et cetera. And on the mold issues, uh, having been involved with indoor environmental long before the Ballard case, but a lot of attorneys jumped on the bandwagon when the Ballards made all the news with their uh, house in, in Texas. And uh, the, the problem became is if you're a contingency attorney, cases with a lot of science issues become expensive to try. They require particular knowledge and uh in those cases, there, there, there were health issues that were more easily identified because people who had mold sensitivities had specific conditions where aspergillosis was an issue. Those were more easily, I didn't say not easy, but e- more easily proven than, uh, as Dr. Dieter noted, some of the issues we're going to see with sulfides. Um, so I think that we will see an initial bandwagon effect, and then when a lot of lawyers see that it really is going to be hard to structure and maintain a contingent fee case long-term in this area, we'll see a lot of the people who jumped in jumping back out again, and that happened also in the mold front, too. Perhaps insurance could be sold after the fact, like it was following the MGM fire in the 1980s? Um, that's probably a question that Brian can answer better, whether the insurance companies are of a mind to start taking on risk, um, particularly in a volatile economy. I don't think the average person realizes that it's not just the claims history that generates how insurance works. It's whether the uh, insurance companies are doing well on investing all those premiums over time. Um, so that's hard to say if somebody is going to be prepared to step up and do this uh, retroactively. That the problem here that's different um, is that you know mold if if it's repaired properly and you know the leaks are solved, your problem's gone until another actual event happens. Um, with the Chinese drywall, either it's there or it's not. And um, if the insurance companies wanted a some sort of inspection to determine whether there is Chinese drywall, I would suspect that they're not likely to write it. And Ryan can certainly uh, comment on that. Yeah, we'll get, we're going to give them opportunity in the roundup. Uh, you know, perhaps maybe everybody should just get together and suck it up financially, you know, with low-interest loans, uh, you know, to, to fix up the property. What do you think about that happening? Um, it's difficult for people to get loans of any kind right now. So um, that is going to be a, a difficult play. I don't see that happening in the short term, perhaps in the long term. The only way I see that otherwise happening is if the government gets involved and creates a mechanism sort of like, uh, the national flood insurance to cover people as it uh, may pop up um, if they actually have uh, the condition. But I, I don't. I don't see that kind of play happening without government help. Okay. 
Well, I think what we're going to do is we're going to go into our roundup now. Well, I think uh, Brian's answer is going to have to wait till another day because we, we can see on our board that we've lost them. We're going to go in this order. We're going to go to Will Spates first, Doc, Dr. Dieter Weil, Ann Koalecki, uh, Radio Joe, and, and then I'll finish up. Uh, Will, any questions or comments? Well, my comments are basically we're just trying to stay as much on top of this as we can. We're working with several clients to uh, provide them with the best information that we can come up with. Um, we're trying to be aware of, as Michael was saying, the Wild West attitude out there with people coming up with uh, solutions that uh, don't really seem to provide any solutions. And it's a, it's a buyer beware out there. And I, I think until the science catches up with the condition, we need to be very careful in how we approach this. All right, uh, Dieter. Well, <clears throat> that is not really my area of expertise, other than the general stuff on you know, toxicology and cause and effect and first uh, response uh, relationships. But uh, it's yeah, it's another. I'm I, I learned something again. It's uh, interesting to see how you know certain issues all of a sudden surface. And I'm pretty sure nobody in China said, let's make uh, yeah, lousy uh, drywall for the Yankees over there. Uh, they probably didn't know any better. Maybe in China the stuff is being used and nobody complains about it. I don't know. And, but um, it's an interesting topic. And uh, uh, Mike outlined already, you know, the legal complications here. It's, it's going to be a tough one. Okay, uh, Annie. Yeah, Mike. How many cases are you dealing with? I'm just I'm just curious how many cases are out there. Um, there aren't many that are actual. And if by cases we're talking actual filed litigation, there's only the couple of class actions right now, and plus the case involving some developers going after some of the entities with whom are our clients. Um, if by cases places we're helping clients. We've probably got eight or nine right now where we are helping clients address what to do with uh, the property, with claims against them, if they're the builders, how they manage this, what to do with their insurance companies. Um, uh, and 90% of those are is helping to document the claim and waiting to see who decides to sue whom first is really where uh, a lot of the jockeying is right now. Thanks. Okay. Um, Joe? Yeah, Mike, I want to uh, kind of diverge away from this for just a moment. I've been dying to talk to you or uh, one of the other excellent attorneys we bring on to the show and um, if you could just give us a quick thought on, uh, you mentioned mold a bunch of times here. Have you noticed um, 
somewhat of a change in the outcome of some of the recent litigation with respect to mold and health effects. It seems like there's some um, newspaper coverage indicating that people are getting health effect claims at least brought into court and some of their experts are being brought into court. Uh, do you see that as a possible trend here in the future? Um, and it, Yes, and it tends to follow the science. I think one reason we haven't seen as much of it is solely because we've seen less mold claims being made, in part one, the lack of hurricanes, damage, et cetera. Um, the number of foreclosures, unfortunately, people are no longer in their homes. Um, and those various things that are um, um, uh, ongoing, I think, uh, if we have enough leaks and as a lot of these foreclosed properties that have been sitting empty with uh, no air running start being occupied, I'll, I think we'll start to see more of those pop up again. But in part, the as the medical science becomes uh, more widely accepted, it gets over that hurdle of getting through the evidentiary rules to get it into court. Thank you. Uh, Michael, is there anything that you would like to add that we forgot to ask you? Uh, well, one thing, I do want to pick up on Will's really great comment about being careful as to what you do with this stuff. And I, over the last two weeks, I've seen lots of press releases that suddenly drop, drop up where somebody is claiming to have this uh, double super secret method of solving the entire um, uh, Chinese drywall problem, but it's proprietary and they can't disclose what it is. Um, you got to be pretty careful if somebody has uh, a magic solution to something for which we don't even know the, the total extent of the problem. Uh, so you have to be careful of people selling magic. Mike, how can our listeners uh, learn more about you and your firm? Uh, could you give some contact information, please? Absolutely. The easiest way is to go to our website, um, which is www.berger, B-E-R-G-E-R, Singerman, S-I-N-G-E-R-M-A-N.com. And uh, we have articles linked. You can get right to my bio and all my detailed contact information. Um, or somebody can send uh, an email to me directly at mgreen, that's like the color with an extra E stuck on the end, at burgersingerman.com. Okay. Thank you very much. Uh, tomorrow is June 6th, the 65th anniversary of the Normandy invasion. Tomorrow we'll remember and honor those brave men who courageously fought there. Today, let's not forget those brave men and women in our armed forces deployed around the world defending freedom. Before we sign off, I'd like to thank our special guest, Michael S. Green, my co-host, Radio Joe Hughes, the wingman, Chris Boisel, Ann Koalecki, the insurance man, Brian McFarland, uh, our technical director, Dr. Dieter Weil, uh, Will Spates for additional tech support, and most importantly, you, our growing group of loyal listeners. Please come back and join us next Friday at noon for the next broadcast of IAQ Radio. This has been another IAQ Radio production.